0: This particular portion of scripture, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7 or 1 through 6. The title of the message is "Revision" because in this new year, you know, I always believe that it's important for us to focus, we can look back and we can evaluate some things, but it's important for us to focus on where we're going to go with God in this year, set some goals, and and decide what we're going to do, if we're going to walk with Him with all of our heart, decide if we're going to serve Him at a greater level, and we talked about those different things last week, I encourage you, if you were not here last week, to go online, you can probably hear the message there, or to speak to the sound technicians and they will help you out to get you a copy of the message. I'm going to read through what I spoke about last week and then I will continue on with the last two points. And what we began understanding is that evaluating our lives in some respects can be compared to proofreading a document or something of that nature with the intent of making corrections or revisions. When we look back at our life, we can look at that the same way that if we were to write something and we were to put something on paper and we look at it after we go ahead and we write out everything, all of our thoughts, and then we sit down and we check it for grammatical errors. We check it for spelling errors we ch- we check it for punctuation errors all that good stuff there we check it for all of that and we make sure that everything is good and everything is okay and i gave you my own personal testimony how i you know i would just express my heart in writing and then i would give it to my wife and i would get upset because she would point out all of the things that were wrong in the grammar and i was like listen i wanted you to tell me about my heart not about all that other stuff but god knows that he gave me a good woman amen and i learned that that it was important for me to proofread my stuff and to make sure that i didn't sound crazy and that people could understand my heart clearly amen Amen. and so it's important that we in our lives we do the same thing because what happens is the way that I was writing I was writing with intention say intention I intended to communicate certain things. I intended to make sure that people understood certain concepts or whatever it was that I was trying to write. And I had certain intentions, but my intention was not going to be completely fulfilled and understood if my grammar was not correct. Now, stick with me because our life is the same way. I was sharing with a brother, and I was talking to Pastor Chad, and I said, it's amazing, you know, because he was talking to me, and God has just been rocking my world. He said, you know what? He said, I heard the, 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 the brother told me this. He said, you know, I heard somebody say this, and he said that the reason why we judge others so harshly is because we judge their actions. And the reason why we don't judge ourselves as harshly is because we judge our intentions. You see, we judge ourselves based on our intentions. Well, I intended to do this. I intended to do that. That's what I meant. I didn't mean that. So we judge ourselves based on our intentions, yet we judge others based on their actions. The same thing with the whole writing thing. I judge my writing based on my intention, my inspiration, my motivation, but when people read what I write, they're judging my grammar. Can I really fully understand what he intended to say? Do I really fully understand what he intended to get? And remember what I said. I said that we must see things differently before we should expect to see things change. In other words, what I'm encouraging you to do is what I've done. Stop judging yourself simply based on your intentions and start judging yourself based on your actions. In other words, get your actions right. Right? Get the things that you do to align. Get them in alignment with what you're intending because that's what it's really about. Because we talk about, well, you know, I want to pray more. No, pray more. Hello, somebody. Stop wanting to pray more. Start praying more. Wake up. You want to pray? Wake up earlier. Glory to God. Stay up later. Separate that time. Turn off the TV. Hallelujah. Revelation deep today. Hallelujah. Right? I want to read more of the Bible. Open it. Get it out of your car. You know, I, I know you're leaving there because you want to seem spiritual when you walk into church like you didn't forget your Bible at home. Hello, somebody. Mm-hmm. I want to do, I want to. I meant, no, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Time out. We need to think about what we're doing. Because you know what the Bible does say, and I'm going to just say this because I love this scripture because it's a scripture that keeps me fearing and trembling before the Lord. The Bible says that many will come unto me in that day, this is Jesus speaking, and saying to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? And he will say, part from me. I never knew you, you work of iniquity. Right? this <laughs> just about a few things. It's about all things. Right? Our intention has to be manifested in our actions. In our life, when we're measuring our life, don't just measure what I meant to do better. No. Repent. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, repent. Now, I tell him, neighbor, I'm going to help you out in 2011. I'm going to give you a definition. Tell him I'm going to give you a definition of the most important word. The most important word. Come on. You need to know. Repent. Listen, that is the most important word for us to understand. Why? Because that is how we continually grow in grace. Right? So you're giving your neighbor a definition say, neighbor. The definition of repent is to make a U-turn. It's to turn away from a certain course of action, to change direction. But not only change direction but to be convicted by the Holy Spirit about your behavior so you won't make another U-turn. Hello, somebody. Get the definition? The most important word. See, here's the thing. What, 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 what I believe is so imperative for us, because this, this is important for all of us, is that we really grasp this reality and it is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to our lives, speaking to us through the preaching of the word. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us through brothers and sisters in Christ. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us as we open our Bibles and we begin to read. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Look, sometimes we are hearing voices like of our parents and that is the Holy Ghost speaking to us, reminding us of things that they said. Amen, somebody? I'm going to tell you right now. I remember when I was when I was walking with without God, I was so lost and blind but there was one thing that continued to like echo inside of my soul, and it was that I understood about the rapture. My grandmother used to drive this into me. I was talking in our Wednesday night class in, in the way of the master, and, and we were asking a question about, you know, when you got saved, did you have a fear of God? Did you understand what you were being saved from and all of this and that? And I said, you know what? I said, my grandmother, she's tough, man, and I wish she was here because she would be smiling and say, yes, yeah, she is. But here's the thing. My grandmother, when when I say tough, she, she she's strong with, with, with the grandchildren. I remember my niece, she was like probably, I don't know, maybe like eight eight years old or something like that and my niece was doing something bad and my grandmother literally told her man you know you're gonna go to hell for that (laughs) hear me right now I was like man grandma's rough (laughs) see I don't remember her telling me that but I know she did because I had a fear of hell in my life glory to God but here's the point the point is when I look at it reality is yes disobedience sends you to hell did you hear what I said So grandma wasn't being rough, she was being real. Oh, but she was only eight years old. Yeah, that eight-year-old needs to know that if she sins and does wrong, there are consequences for that. Amen, somebody. Now, that doesn't mean that you manipulate kids trying to scare them and all this and that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is your children, our children, my daughter, needs to know the truth. Yo, sin leads to a place, and it ain't fun. My grandmother communicated that. So you know what happened? As I was growing up, this is what I knew. I knew every night when I laid down in that bed, I wasn't walking with Jesus, living like a heathen. You know what I understood? I was going to hell, and if the rapture happened, I was going to experience hell here on earth. Did you hear me? I understood that hands down, and that was like the fear. That was the only thing that was in me that like kept me where I would think about God. I was like, man. I don't even, I I was just, I was going through these things. There was stuff there. And so I would pray, and I told you all this testimony before, so I won't go through it again. But I would come to God, and I would ask him, you know, to forgive me every night like a hypocrite. Hello? Because my real intention is I just wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell. That was the thing. I didn't want to change my life. That wasn't repentance, y'all. So the, 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 the most important thing is that we understand and that we grasp that because repentance is when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, that we respond, understanding that I am wrong, not he or she is guilty. Did you hear me? See, there's a difference. And, and I love when Pastor Robert preached a long time ago. He even prayed it this morning, so I know the Holy Ghost is on this right now. Glory to God. So the fact is, he said, you know what, I, I, when you're sitting down and you're hearing a message, you shouldn't be, you know, elbowing your neighbor said, that's for you, hello. That ain't for me. Listen, there are times that we we sit in church and we need to repent for this. There are times that we sit there and we're like, man, I wish so-and-so was here, so-and-so was here. That one needed that. That one needed this. This one needed to hear that. No, wait a second. If you're here, you must need to hear this. I know, I, and, and you know, you know. I, I, all I can say is that I know what it's like to be in prayer, preparing a message, praying, seeking God. I mean, I'm being convicted. In my head, I'm seeing faces flash before me. That one needs this. That one needs that. And I, but you know what? I realized something. The message is to me first. So as a preacher, I've come to that place where so I'm like, yeah, they need it, but I need it first. Hello, somebody. Because I have, I haven't arrived somewhere. I'm not walking on clouds yet. Hello. I'm not Enoch. I'm still here standing here in the flesh. Hello. So I haven't arrived anywhere. I need, I need the word just like anybody else. So the, the, the thing is that we sit there. God is speaking to our hearts. And then what happens is that voice is clear. That voice is, you know, coming to us and we're hearing what God is saying. God is calling you to change behavior, change direction, change course. God is communicating and showing us these things. And we sit there. And whether it is we're listening to our parents, whether it is sitting in church, whether it is, you know, when you're sitting down reading your Bible, and God is communicating to you about stuff. And you don't want to just go on ahead and just take responsibility and be like, hold on a second. That is me. Because if I see here's a, here, here's the reason why this is so important for us. If we don't ever say that it's me, I never really repent. I never recognize that I need change in my life. Because I'm looking at everybody else, I'm looking all over the place, but I'm not looking in the mirror. And saying, wait a second, I'm the guilty party here. Oh yeah, they're guilty and they did some stuff, whatever the case is. They need to hear that message, but I need to hear that from God as well. And so the first thing we got to grasp is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And then once we acknowledge that our behavior is wrong, then repentance can occur. If you don't acknowledge your behavior is wrong, you will never repent. You will continue to walk the way that you're walking and justify yourself. I've said this before, and I will continue to say this. Whenever we sin, we always seek justification no matter what. And we will either seek justification in our own reasoning, or we will seek justification in Christ Jesus. And the only way that we get justification in Christ is through repentance. Period. When we sin, when we do wrong, we will always seek justification. You know, know, we usually find justification. I didn't mean to do that. Did you hear me? My intention... I, well, I, I didn't mean to say that. I, I didn't mean to communicate that. Intention doesn't change your behavior. Hello. God wants to change your behavior. Amen? And so we must see things differently, see things from a God perspective before we should expect to see things change in our life. How many of y'all want some things to change in your life? Just raise your hand and say Amen. There's a few people in here. We want to see some things change, right? We want to see some things become different. Well, the first thing is we got to see things the way that God communicates them. Not the way that we want to see them. Not the way that we want to reason them out. Not the way that we want to. No, no, no. We need to see things from the perspective that God sees them. And sometimes the way that God sees them is like, you know, just black and white. And it's not the way you want to see it pink and rosy and all that. Hello? You want to see a blue over here and you want to see a red over here and you want to see some color? No, black and white. Right, wrong. Hello, somebody. And so we got to get a perspective from God's word on all of these areas. And so the first thing we talked about last week, repeat this after me, say we need to establish a biblically acceptable and attainable vision to pursue. Obviously, I'm trying to help everyone establish the right things in this new year, right? I'm trying to help you to go in the right direction in 2011. I'm trying to help you to go on there because like I said last week, and I'll just repeat some of it. I said it last week, you know, for some reason, we're the type of folks like we get to about mid-year, and we just decide, well, I can't wait till the new year, we're, especially when we're in, like the third quarter. We're like, you know, we're, we're like a football team that's getting whooped by like 20 points or whatever. Be like, you know what? This game is over. Let's think about the next game. That's how most of us are. Listen, we want to get on the right track from the beginning, amen? And not just get on the right track. We want to stay on the right track. We want to walk this thing out. And so, realizing in this new year, we get a new perspective, new opportunities, and all this and that that occurs. And so, now we got to have the right vision. That's why we're talking about revision to revision yourself, to refocus yourself, to get a right vision the way that God wants us to have. Not a vision that I want for you, not a vision that you want for you, but a vision that God's word declares that we should have for our lives. And so, the first thing we find here in verse six look at it with me, please. It says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And, it, and, and when you when you read that, maybe it doesn't but it, maybe it doesn't say it clearly to you, but what it's saying is without faith, it is impossible to please him at all at all. Without faith. That's what it literally means in the Greek. It is impossible to please him at all. Period. Without faith, you're not pleasing God. You cannot please God if you do not have faith. Period. Without faith, you don't please him, right? We walk through some other scriptures. For the Christian, this should be the vision of our life. The vision or the goal of our life should be not only for 2011, it should be to please God in everything, not something, say everything, Everything. that we do. This is the only foolproof, all-encompassing, biblical vision, and this vision is only attainable by the grace of God. Listen, it's a big vision to think about. Man, I, I, I got to please God in everything. I, I, I should desire to walk by faith in everything. Yes. Amen. I should, I have to be focused. Yes, because you got to be focused in everything. Because, like I said it last week, if you decide that you are going to just, walk, well, you know what? I just want to be a good father, okay? But that, minute that, but that misses the mark on all of these other areas where you should please God. I just want to be a good mother. That misses the mark in these other areas. Now, you should still want to be a good mother, but you should also want to be a good Christian. You should also want to be a good father or, or son or whatever it is that you are. You should want to be a good employee. Because what? These things please God. We shouldn't become focused because what we'll do is we'll say, you know what? I'm a good father, so I've arrived. No. That's not true. Well, I'm a good Christian in, in, in whatever area I am. And that's good. Wait a second. Time out. The Bible shows us that we should be able to please God in everything that the Word of God says we can please him. Amen? And everything. And so our goal as a Christian should be what? It should, our focus should be everything that I do. So this is what, what I'm saying for 2011. Everything that I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it through this filter. Does this please God? I'm going to ask God this question. All of my behaviors, here's the practical application to walking by faith in this area. I am going to filter every decision. I'm going to filter every action. I'm going to filter all of these things through one question Does this please God? And if I can say yes, I move forward without hesitation. If I am not sure, I wait on God until he communicates. This is his will, and he wants me to do And if I have a clear, no, this doesn't please God, I stop the behavior, stop the thinking, stop the communication, and I decide once and for all, my desire is to please him in everything, not some things. And so that's the way that I'm going to live my life beginning in 2011. That's a foolproof vision right there for you to measure everything by that question. You know, we're growing up, it's natural. We love our parents, right? And so, I obviously, I don't know about you, I see it in my daughter. And I remember, you know, when I was a kid, man, I had one thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to get my parents' approval. I wanted, my, I wanted to make my mom smile. I wanted to make her happy. So everything I did, did what? It revolved around my mom. Hello, somebody. Come on now. You see it. I, I see. I see it with my daughter. You know, she'll come whenever she does something. She's looking for mommy's approval, daddy's approval. She's looking to see. Look at what I did. Look at what I. Because what I want to please them. That's the goal. I want to make sure I please Him. When she does something, we were talking the other day about something, and she's telling you, she's sitting in the car, and my daughter gets really emotional, and I'm like, glory to God. And so, you know, we're we're talking, and you're having a conversation. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to help her grow in in Christ and all of this wonderful stuff that, you know, I'm called to do as a father. And, you know, and when I say things, you know, I'm I'm always very careful because I don't want to use, you know, I, I don't want my daughter to want to please God through me. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I don't want her to think that she has to please Daddy in order to please Jesus because that's not Necessarily true in every situation, amen. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm saying it for me. Other parents, y'all, don't say, "Amen, glory to God, whatever." But I'm just saying me. Now, I, I, I realize that not every single thing. I'm not perfect, amen. The book, the book of Hebrews communicates that as well. I think in the next chapter, something like that. Glory to God. So anyway. What I realized, communicating with my daughter, and she's sitting in the car, and, you know, talking about things of faith, and I'm real careful when it comes to these things of faith because I don't want to damage her, you know. I, I don't want to mess her up. So, you know, she's sitting there, and I was asking her to do something. I'll tell you what it was. I'll give you the testimony. We were having a prayer meeting, right? So, we're gonna, you know, we're going to have a prayer meeting last Friday, and, um, and, and so we're there, and she's like, I thought it was men's meeting tonight because she knows my schedule. She's like, you have men's meeting first Friday, and she's like, my daughter, my daughter is on, she'd be like, listen. Um, I, know you got, I know you have first Friday men's meeting, but that's the only Friday you can do anything. And I'm like, all right, glory to God, I got you, because that's our day, right? Daddy-daughter day, so it's a sacred holy day, <laughs> right? I respect that. I honor that, except, you know, month of January, I decided we have prayer every Friday. So I told her, now, babe, I said, it's everybody coming to church to have prayer. And she's like, okay. And so, you know, so I'm talking, and I was like, so do you want to pray in front of the church? She's like, oh, no, Daddy, I'm not ready for that. I'm like, what? I said, what? You, you're, not, you're not ready to pray in front of that. I said, Why? It's like, oh no, I'm just not ready. And I'm like, but girl, you pray in school and, you know, in front of your class because her teacher, that, you know, that that like amazes me. Because my daughter, when she prays with us, she'd be praying that, you know, just religious prayer, you know, that same thing every night when we pray together. That's how my daughter prays. I'm like, all right, that's, you know, that's how she's going to do it. That's it. But when she's in school, then people tell me about her praying and I'm like, glory to God. I'm glad she prays like that. So, you know, the t- teacher tells me she's this prayer warrior. And I just asked her a question. I, I, I told her, I said, babe, you don't have to do it. As you know, you don't have to pray. And so she's sitting there. And so I was trying to talk with her through it because the one thing I want my daughter to understand about prayer is it doesn't matter who you're standing in front of it matters who you're standing in front of because you could be standing in front of millions and it doesn't make a difference none of them are going to answer your prayer it's him that's going to answer your prayer and so it doesn't really matter who's listening and you know obviously that's kind of difficult for a nine-year-old eight-year-old how old is our daughter nine years old for she just turned she just turned nine all right i'm getting i'm getting there i'm getting there i'm moving in that direction okay i'm trying to hold her back a year okay that's kind of hard for a nine-year-old to grasp that people don't matter when I'm praying to God, you know. So what she was saying to me was, Dad, I just, it's intimidating. So I was like, babe, you don't have to pray. And so we're talking, and, and, and you know, I notice her whole demeanor changes. And so I'm like, what's up? It's like nothing. You know, I just feel like I'm disappointing you. Like, Listen. Oh, you're not disappointing me. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. But it's important that we communicate, right, and that we help our children to understand the things that they need to grasp, the things that they need to understand, especially in these areas. But you don't want them to feel overwhelmed. That's that's, that's not my goal with my daughter, so I want to make sure what? that she understands what prayer is about. I want her to understand that she needs to just seek the face of the father and she needs to go after him and do what she needs to do. But that is me helping her as a, as, as a parent to grow in these areas. And so we need to make sure that we're doing the same thing as far as our walking together in the in, you know, walking in faith and making sure that our desire is to please God, that we're helping our children to understand in this area. You know what? Even at a young age, it's all about pleasing him. It's not about anything else. It's all about pleasing him. You want to make sure you're focused on him. You want to make sure that you are aligning your heart, your mind, and your focus on who? On Jesus and getting you getting to the place where you need to be. Us as Christians, as adults, we need to have the same mindset. The same mindset is to please the Father in everything that we do. The same mindset to please him in every area and all the things that we do, giving him glory and giving him honor. Write the scripture down because we won't go through it today because I'll get stuck there and then we won't get to the second point again. And I'll be preaching this again next week because there's so much to say. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 through 8. And it communicates clearly, you do not have to turn there, is where the Apostle Paul is communicating regarding us not walking in condemnation, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes through this and when he gets to verse 8, he talks about you cannot please God when you're in the flesh. And so what we understood last week is that you cannot please God while you are walking in the flesh. Say amen. You cannot, you, you cannot please him. You cannot please God and gratify your sinful nature at the same time. So when we talk about living by faith, we talk about walking by faith. We, when, we, when we're discussing that and we're dealing with that topic, you and I cannot walk by faith and walk in the flesh at the same moment. Hear me. You cannot do that. Now, does that mean that we're going to be walking on clouds all the time? No. Does that mean that things are going to happen that will bring us into the flesh at moments? Yeah, there are things that will happen, but you and I need to guard ourselves against that, and that way we do not fall into the flesh. That way we do not give into the flesh, should I say not fall, but that we do not give into the flesh at those moments when temptations or situations arise before us. And this goes for adults as well as young people. Hallelujah. Amen. Same Bible, same Holy Ghost lives in all of us. And so, what we understand is that we have this, this example here. The Apostle Paul tells us you cannot please God and be in the flesh. And so, we can't do that. Say this with the second thing with me here the first step of living by faith is drawing near to God. So the first thing that we find here in this scripture, or the second thing, should I say, that we find here in this scripture regarding us walking with God, it says, But without faith, in verse 6, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. So let's stop there. For he who comes to God, he who comes to God must believe that he is. And so the first step, and I, I'm just trying to give you some practical steps to maintain your walk throughout this year, to maintain this purpose, if this is going to be your heart, that you're going to please God in this, in, in this year and let this year be the new beginning in your life. Well, the first thing is you've got to come near God. You've got to come to God. You have got to draw near to God. You have got to come into his presence. You have got to, you've got to approach him because here's this, the most basic evidence of a person living by faith is their approach to God. If you really have faith in God, right, you know, the, the, the one thing that you're going to do is you're going to come to him when you're going through situations. Amen? You ever talk to someone who says they believe in God and you're trying to tell them, well, why don't you pray about the situation? And they will. They're like, no, nah, I'm not going to pray about it. You ever had that conversation? It's like an oxymoron. Like, okay, you believe in God, you love God, and everything is great, but now you're not going to talk to God about the problem. So what, is that? what, 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 is, what does that communicate to us? When, you, when you're looking at, now mind you, you're not looking at them, you're looking at you, say, I'm looking at me. And when I am not willing to approach him, what does that communicate? What does that say about me? When I'm not willing to talk to God about something, that means that I really don't believe that he is. Hear me. The focus is, he who comes to God must believe that he is. So no, so no approach of God really says you have no faith that he is. The focus is that he is. That's the focus of this portion of Scripture here. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And I want, I want to make this clear because we live in a day and age where everybody has their own concept of God. Everybody believes in a God. And if you have a conversation with them, they will try to communicate to you that their God is your God. Hear me. We are reading from what? The Bible. Hallelujah. We are reading from the inspired word of God. And it says that he who comes to God must believe that he is. The focus is that the God of the Bible is God. That what God said about himself is true. That the God that we see revealed in the Old Testament is the God that we are communicating with. That that same God that manifests himself in his son, Jesus, that that is the God we're talking to. That the Holy Spirit that descended in the upper room, which are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he is God. We must believe that he is. Not that there is a God. No, 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 no. That's not not the belief. Everybody believes there is a God. Demons believe that and they tremble. Hello. But it is that he is God, that those who come to him must believe that he is. See, believing that he is is a lot bigger than what most of us think. Because what we're saying is we're looking at, we're going back to the book of Exodus. You remember the book of Exodus? Children of Israel are in bondage. And then and, and God reveals himself in the burning bush to who? He reveals himself to Moses. Moses has this revelation. God is speaking to him in, in, in Exodus chapter, th- uh, chapter 3. He's having this whole communication with him. And then Moses is like, look, man, who am I going to say sent me? right? And God says, say, I am who I am, sends you. That's my name. That, that, that's who I am. See, I, I love that name because when I was sitting down and I was looking at all, like, I, I really want to want to look at this. And, and, and it's, it's one of those words that God just proves himself to be where he, he's just almost incapable of clearly communicating. He, he, when, when you read the definition and you, and you look up that word, that word, it literally means to be or to become. And so it's like, wait a second, but is he or is he to be? The answer is yes. He is and he will be. So when he's saying that, he's saying, I am to be who I am to be. (laughs) I am to be, see, I am now, I am to be, hello, who I am to be. So I've always been. So what this name is communicating, this is what we are believing that he is the I am to be who I am to be, hello. That's that that, that 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 that's the guy. See that that, just, that that's like almost ghetto for me. I mean, I am to be who I am to be. Yo, what's up? God wasn't communicating like that. I don't want to. I don't want to confuse that's me. I was like, I was, like, I am to be. I was like, glory to God. That's that's my God right there. Telling Moses, yo, I am to be who I am to be. Tell them, it's me. What's up? Hear me now. This is this is the this is what God is communicating, and in the book of Hebrews it's saying, "He who comes to God must believe that He is." Now I remind you, remember, he's speaking about him. He's not him speaking about himself, right? So when he's saying, what he's saying is, you need to believe that he is the one who, re- who revealed himself in the Old Testament. He is that God. That is the only God that there is. That's what it means to believe that. So what does it mean to really believe that he is? To really believe, because when you look at that name, that name means his presence. That name means his care, his concern for us. When he's communicating, he's saying, he revealed himself to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He revealed himself to all of these people. But when he comes to Moses, he said, I haven't revealed myself by this name. I haven't demonstrated these same things that I'm showing to these people that I'm going to show them. So he's given them a, a progressive revelation of who he is. And so God is communicating. And he's saying, Listen, I am the I, I am who I am. I am. I'm the existing one. And so when we say that God is and and, and believing that he is, this is what it means. It means to believe that he is independently sovereign, that he is inherently good, and that he is indefinitely immutable. Hear me. He is independently sovereign. When I say that I believe that he is, what I'm saying is that I believe that God can rule and he doesn't need me to do it. Hello. I'm saying that God is in control, and I don't need to fret, and I don't need to worry. What I'm saying, when, I, when I'm saying I believe that God is independently sovereign, he does not depend on anyone else to do anything. Now, God has chosen. See, this is the difference here. Because while he doesn't depend on anyone else in the sense that he needs, God can speak, he can send an angel to communicate, to deliver. But what God does, he could drop a million dollars from heaven. But what he does is he puts it in the heart of people to go and be as mouthpiece. He puts it in the heart of people to be the ones who provide finances. He puts it in the heart of people to be those voices of deliverance and healing that people need. He puts it there. He chooses us. And so in that sense, that's where we say that God depends on us. He he has made it in a way that he is not going to move outside of the way he chooses. That's how he did it. But as far as him being sovereign, as far as him being able, listen, he doesn't need my bank account to provide for me. Did you hear me? He doesn't need your employer to provide for you. That is what it means. It, it, it means that he, doesn't, he does not need anything. He doesn't need a doctor to heal you. Hello. Did you hear what I just said? He doesn't need anything in order to do what he wants. He is independently sovereign. And then the other one, which a lot of us, we can get with the independently sovereign part, but the other one is that he is inherently good. In other words, he is just good by nature. He is good in whatever he does. Listen, even when God says no, he's still good. Oh, I got to talk to you there for a moment. Hallelujah. Because I think one of my greatest, one of my greatest, greatest issues that I have with us Christians, and I said us, hello, I categorize categorize myself here, is that when God does something, he says yes to a prayer. The first thing that comes out of our mouth, well, God God is good. Okay? So if he would have said no, was he bad? Let's be real about it now. So then why is it that when he says no, we don't say God is good? Why don't we do that? See, because whether we want to admit it or not, when God says no to something, especially something that we desperately want him to do, we may never speak it, but right in our hearts, we doubt his goodness. Right in our hearts, we're confused. Is he really good? Because now, right, He's, he sent his son to die for me. All of these things that he did, that he shows his love, but he said no to this or he hasn't answered. And that's what people, that, that's what they get confused too. They think because God says no, he didn't answer. No, he said no. No is an answer, right? Remember how hard it was for us to learn it as children? No. I, my mom would testify. I don't even, I could not understand the definition of no. You thought the definition of repentance was bad. Look, no was like, I just didn't, under, that, that didn't, didn't get it. Hmm. You know what happens to us as Christians? It's the same thing. We don't know how to hear no. Oh, God didn't answer my prayer. Yes, he did. He said no. And he's still good. Even though it was painful, he's still good. Even though you didn't understand it, he's still good. Even though it didn't look right, he is still good. So when we say that he is, I believe that he is independently sovereign I believe that he is inherently good in other words he is going to be good and in control even when situations seem like how could a good God that is almighty be in control of this Mm -hmm. I know I know that's tough but that's your God he remains good so from now on I know when something goes wrong or something that doesn't go according to plan the first thing out of your mouth is going to be God is good he's good church You're not mocking him. You're communicating. He's still good. And then the last point that we have to understand when we come to him is that he is indefinitely immutable. Indefinitely means until when? Until. Until something changes. Hello, somebody. I put that word there to let you know that God, throughout Scripture, throughout history, He has demonstrated Himself to be the same. He has demonstrated Himself to be consistent. If you look at biblical history, you look at you look at regular history throughout the church, you look at national history. God has remained the same. So what that tells me is He hasn't changed. And until someone, ha- or until something happens that He changes, I need to have faith that what that He is not going to change. That he is going to remain in control. He is going to remain good. He is going to remain able. He is going to remain merciful. He is going to remain a God that's, that, that has wrath that is being stored up for all of those who do not want him, who do not walk with him. He remains the same. He doesn't change. He does not change. And so to to say that we come to him, that we're drawing near to him, that's the first step. The first step is, church, we have to make sure we are coming to him, not just with our problems, with our life. It's easy to come to God when we're going through hardship. It's easy to come to God. I I was praying, and I'm thinking, and and I'm like, I'm tempted to pray this prayer. I haven't prayed it yet, and so I don't know if I will because I don't know if it's the will of God. But I'm I'm tempted to pray this prayer. Like, God, send persecution to America. I'm tempted to pray the prayer. Because you know what? You know where the power of God is? Where persecution is. You want to know why? Because that's where prayer is. That's where people are seeking the face of God desperately, where they are persecuted for their faith. They are on their faith going after God. But when we're not going through things, when we're not going through situations, we have all the commodities, all the comforts. When we have all of that, we're not praying desperately, seeking the face of God like our life depends on it because it really doesn't. The greatest thing that any of us that are in here needs to repent of is that mindset. I'm the first one. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm the first one that needs to repent of that mindset. Not once, not twice, every day of our lives. That we will understand, man, we, we could see such a great and glorious move of God, but we do not care. Wake up, church. Hear me. We do not care. I love the text message Pastor Chad sent. The reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. Oh, glory to God. The reason we do not have revival is because we are willing to live without it. Where there is persecution, they can't live without it. Because if they don't have revival, then what happens? If they don't have God moving, what happens? They're just going to die. Listen to me. So I haven't prayed the prayer. I probably will pray the prayer soon. But anyway, glory to God. I just know this. We have to wake up. Listen, we care about a whole bunch of stuff. And you know what? And I I thank God. I thank God for Sister Adelina and, and, you know, Dave Ramsey. I thank God for all of that. But listen, man, we really need to care about a move of God in this earth more than anything else. More than anything else, we need to get desperately broken before God about him moving. That's what this whole message is about, and that's where we're going to end at in a moment anyway. But the fact of the matter is, the first thing that is going to be necessary for you and I, in, in order for us to maintain a life that is pleasing to God, is that we must be coming to him. The second thing, or the third thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this. The second step in living by faith is never giving up or turning back. You continue to read the scripture in verse 6, and it says, I'm sorry, my, my page turned on me here. In verse 6, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can't please him at all without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and the, and the third part of the verse is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so notice, he, he, there is a reason why the writer puts in there diligently. He doesn't just say those who seek him. He puts in there, diligently seek him. It's not just those who seek him for a little while. It's not just those who seek him for a moment. It's not just those who seek him for, you know, a a situation. And then I stop. No, no, no. He says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those who seek him out. In other words, who go after God regardless of who is with them or who is not. That are going to go after God regardless of what they're going through or what they're not going through. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith, I want you to understand the reason why this diligence in seeking God is so important. It is because faith is not fully developed until we have endured, struggled with, and overcome thoughts of doubt, thoughts of confusion, thoughts of abandonment. It's not until that place that we can really say our faith has been developed. Because it's not in God breaking through at that moment. It's in us pursuing him no matter what. It's us pursuing him no matter what. Those who diligently seek him. When we when we struggle, see, because it's easy to say, man, I got faith. I have faith God is going to do this. I have faith God is going to do that. I have faith God is going to do the next thing. But what happens when your faith meets a circumstance or a situation that, you know what, it seems like God is not doing that. It seems like God is not moving that way. It seems like God, are you going to continue to seek him out, not it out? See, because the issue is we will seek it, meaning the answer, and not him. It didn't say those who seek out the answer It is those who seek him. Those who seek him those who go through those moments where we all you know what when you walk with God really walking with him and experiencing him There are going to be moments in your life that you are going to feel abandoned There are going to be moments in your life that you're going to feel like man Where is God right now and he's right there with you? There are going to be moments that you're going to feel like man Why is God not answering or why is God saying no once you get that concept? Why and you're going to go through that stuff, but the fact is that is what is molding That is what is developing see because here's the reality the reality is this Yes, faith can move mountains Absolutely And yes, faith can move God But you know what is the most important thing that faith does? Faith molds us and moves us That is the most important lesson of faith. And to live by faith is to say, you know what? No matter what I'm going through, no matter how situations seem, no matter what is going on, I am going to walk with him and I am going to diligently seek him out. I am going to pursue him in a relentless manner because it is at those moments, the diligent pursuit of God is rooted in faith, church, that he will reward us according to his purpose. The reward. The reward of faith, when you think about it, what is the reward? What is it? Is it always a yes answer? No. So what is the reward of faith? He's the rewarder. Remember, those who come to him must believe that he is and that he he is a rewarder or will become a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what is it that's guaranteed that, that everybody, everybody is entitled to to every situation? Can I tell you what the guarantee is? The guarantee is that if you pursue him for forgiveness, it's guaranteed. Did you hear what I just said? If you pursue him for forgiveness, it is guaranteed. That means eternal life is promised. Hear me. Everyone who pursues him for forgiveness with a heart that is truly like I talked about Repentance. It's there. It's a guarantee. So what does that mean? I mean, that right there, just that in and of itself, what does that guarantee us, church? That guarantees us access to him. Because at the end of it all, you want to know what the reward is? It's him. It's not things. It's not things. And when it's things, we have issues. Because then when those things don't come, when we don't get those things, we begin to abandon God. The first step, pursuing him or coming to him, the second step, walking with him, not turning away, being like Enoch, walking with God no matter what, walking with him. No problems with problems. I want more of him. I want to know him. He says he's a rewarder of that. He is a rewarder. He is going to add unto our lives his glory, his presence, all the rest of that stuff. Listen, he wants to give you something that means more than anything you could ever ask for in this natural realm. Hello. This is what he offers us, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I'm going to close with this. Many times our pursuit of God is short-lived based on a misunderstanding of our relational rights. Let me say it again. Many times our pursuit of God is short-lived based on a misunderstanding of our relational rights in prayer. So what happens? Look, I came to an altar one day. Maybe I prayed a prayer somewhere on a park bench. I gave my life to Jesus. Now I'm a son. Now I'm a daughter. I have access to him. So anything I ask for, it's done. It's good. Just relational rights. I've said this before, and I want to make this very clear. Before I, before I say this, the, the, the second part of my statement, listen to the first part. Prayer is founded upon Relationship. Say it with me. Prayer is, no, say, 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 say it like you mean it. Prayer is founded upon relationship. If there's no relationship, there's no real prayer. Bottom line, it's crystal clear. The scriptures tell us clearly God does not hear the prayer of sinners. That's what the scriptures teach us. That's not what I say. That is what the Bible says. There is one prayer that God is hearing when you are a sinner, it is that of asking Him for forgiveness. He hears what we say and all of that stuff. But to guarantee answer, no, 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 no. It's got to be relationship. To guarantee communion, there has to be relationship. No relationship, there's no real prayer. But here's the other thing. is the issue, is that we stop there. And we think that every answer to prayer is just based on relationship. That is not true. Let me give you three scriptures because I don't want to leave you with a statement. I want to show you what the Bible says. Turn with me to the book of Luke, please, chapter 11. chapter 11. and We will begin reading in verse 5 when you got to say amen. And Jesus speaking, he said to them, which of you, now mind you, this is right after his, his, his explanation on prayer, and he says to them here, which of you shall have a friend and go to him, now notice the word friend, his relationship, and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, there it is again, lend me three loaves, For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. Jesus says, I say to you. Though he will not rise to give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. This is Jesus talking, not Jason. Jesus says this. He's not rising up to give him something because of their relationship. He's rising to give him something because of his persistence. Because he continues on pursuing the answer from God. Again, that answer may be no, but he is pursuing an answer from God. He is not going to just give up because he doesn't feel like it, or whatever the case is, he's going to continue forward. Moving on to the next scripture, Luke chapter 18. Another portion of scripture gives us another example here. Again, Jesus is speaking. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You should underline that in your Bible because this is Jesus communicating to his disciples and he's saying to them, listen, you should pray and not lose heart because it is easy for us to pray and lose heart once we're not hearing what we want to hear or seeing what we want to see. It is easy for us to get to that place where we feel like we've prayed enough and then we end up losing heart. But Jesus says that men ought to pray and not lose heart. He goes on to say in verse 2, there was a certain city, uh, a judge, there was in a certain city a judge who did not feel. Fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a window in that there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but after a word he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual wearying she uh, by, by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out night and day to him though he bears a long time with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Again. The answer to the petition was not because of relationship in this example. It's actually a wicked person who doesn't fear God nor regard man, and yet he still answers because of a continual, persistent coming and asking for a response, asking for a reply. Listen, the one that you need God to execute judgment on in your life is the devil. Amen, somebody. The one that you need God to execute judgment on is not people don't, don't, listen, we need to ask God to have mercy on people, that God would save them, that God would deliver them. But the enemy, there needs to be judgment upon him for the things that have happened in your life, whether you've allowed them to happen or not. But that is who the enemy or who God needs to avenge you with. And the way that that happened is through what? It's through prayer. The last scripture that we turn to is First John chapter 5. many of us should know this one by heart. John, 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. It's a good scripture you should memorize. Helps you in prayer, not to lose heart. You got to say amen. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so listen, he hears us, but we need to be asking, pursuing him. Here's the bottom line and here's the closing question. It is, what is going to mark the rest of your year? What what, what is going to mark 2011 for you? What is it? The problems that you have right now, is that what's going to mark your 2011? The situations, the circumstances, is that what's going to mark your 2011? What what, what is going to mark your 2011? You make that decision. Don't let circumstances make that decision. What is it that's going to mark your 2011? What should mark your 2011 should mark the rest of your life and that should be a life of faith. life of walking by faith but the greatest mark that is going to be there of a person who's going to walk by faith is going to be that our life will be marked by prayer our life will be marked by prayer by seeking god's face what's going to mark 2011 is your husband is your wife are your children are your parents are your are your are your family and friends going to notice something different about you because you got a new hairdo hello got a new car moved into a new house or are they going to notice there's something different about your life because your life has been submitted and committed to doing what to seeking God your life has been committed to seeking him above everything else no matter what my life is going to be marked by that that's my prayer that's my desire that my life be marked by a different dimension in prayer by a different level of seeking God's face if we're Christians and we want to please God the first place that it begins is on our knees in a prayer closet that pleases him and coming from that place we will know how to please him in every other area if we are truly seeking his face the issue is and I was talking to a brother the other day the same brother that told me the quote about us judging others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions as we were talking i was sharing with him i said you know i was praying this morning and i was thinking about one of the questions that people often ask different ministries you know you'll go you'll go to a youth ministry and you see you know an explosion of youth or you see all of these different things that are going on and you ask them a question you and you know a, a, a very valid question if you're starting a church or a ministry and you ask them so what did you do to have this success i give you a prime example so you can kind of put a face with this, with this question. Pastor George Sotolongo, the one who came here and preached a few weeks ago, when he ministered powerful, man of God, powerful, and, and every youth ministry that he has had have been over a couple of hundred youth. Everyone, the first church that he, the, the first church that he youth pastored at, the church, the church, the adult church was like on average on a packed out day, like 40 adults. That was was the size of the church. His youth ministry averaged about 120 youth. On a Friday night, his church was out in Deltona. Hello, somebody. That's a long drive, right? People were driving from Kissimmee to come out here because of what God was doing there. And you want to know what? If you ask Pastor George what is the success in his ministry, you want to know what the first thing he's going to say, and I can attest to this, is that he used to go out there. He would drive from Altamont all the way to Deltona every Monday night, and he would get on his face. He would just turn on some worship and praise in the church, and he would get on his face, and he would cry out to God, and he would say, God, give me revival or give me death. God, pour out your spirit in this place. God, open the windows of heaven. And you know what God did? God responded, and he manifested his kingdom. Now, you go from that question, and then you look at, well, what is sustained well obviously prayer is there but you know they do outreach they have hip-hop ministry drama ministry they have discipleship they have all of these different things but here's the thing that we'll do this is what will happen we'll go and we'll look at a ministry like that and we'll say well i'm going to do discipleship i'm going to do hip-hop ministry i'm going to do drama i'm going to do all of these other things but we forget the foundation which is prayer we want all of the success but we don't want to pay the price christians wake up we want all of the glory. We, know we want all of these things, but we forget the fundamental and primary thing. And it is what? Seeking the face of God. It says clearly, for without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. What does faith do? Faith leads you to Him. What is leading? What, what, what happens when you find Him? You hold on to Him and you don't let go. That's what happens. So what's going to mark your life? What is it that's going to mark your life for 2011 and begin to, 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 to just totally take you in a whole different way? Is it going to be prayer or is it going to be problems? What is it going to be? My cry in my heart is that it will be prayer that will mark this year for you. And I can guarantee you this. I can't guarantee you that every single prayer answer is going to be yes. I can, I, As a matter of fact, I can guarantee you every single answer to prayer will not be yes. Hello. But the prayers that need to be answered yes, if you will seek him diligently, yes will be the answer. And what I can guarantee you is that you will never be the same again if you'll make that commitment and stick to it. Your life will be changed. You as a, listen, all hell can break loose around you and the glory of God will be upon you. Everything else can be happening around you. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your mind and guard your heart. Because of what? Because you have sought Him. Because you've made Him your focus. Remember the title of the message? Revision. So what are you focused on? What, what, what are you trying to do? Is it bathed in prayer? Remember, we can go ahead and we can say, well, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to pray about it later on and ask God to bless it. Hello, somebody. That's not the way life should work for a Christian. We should be praying, and that way God's blessing leads us to do what he wants, not what we want. So I'll stand to our feet, please. So I've asked the question here.